0: today is thursday march 16th 2023 this is quick start from cbn news i'm dan andros a man sentenced to 400 years in prison was released this week love the story behind that it's insane and more on today's podcast we're bringing news from a christian perspective subscribe leave a rating share it with a friend you can email us as well quick start podcast at cbn.org joining me now as always to get through the news of the cray as we do each and every weekday morning at 7 a.m. Billy Hallowell, Tragons Phillips. What's up, fellas? It's Friday, Junior. What's going on?
1: Just living my best life like I always am.
2: <laughs> there you go. Dude, just flying through the week. It's already Thursday. Yeah. Well, a quick week for you. You haven't been here. <laughs> I know. Well, <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah. I'm kidding. I, mean, you I were was on, traveling. No, you were on work, assignment.
0: Though. You were on assignment. I know. I'm just, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just okay, giving Steve you a hard time. <laughs> anyway, um, it is flying by. There is just—I mean—the news comes fast and furious, and today is no exception. And this story that I mentioned at the top—a prisoner freed after the 400-year sentence comes down—and he spent three decades in prison. And honestly, this story, the details—it's just—it's one of those ones you wouldn't believe it. If you just saw it like in a
1: movie or something, it's it's
0: too wild. It's kind of
1: heartbreaking too. I mean, it's a heartbreaking story. But then you're like, four hundred years. How many people did he kill, right? Right. And then you find out
0: none. You find out what he did, and you're like, really? And then he didn't even do it. Turns out, or at least they couldn't prove it. So, we'll have all the details on that. It's incredible. Um, And as well, we're going to get into the on the main thing today, talking about the mainstream media. Most of us know that it's broken, but. Rarely are they held accountable. Well, a former media executive who's now the executive producer for the Megyn Kelly podcast, he went through and just called to the carpet, the mainstream media, with examples, with insider voices, and we talked to him. And so we'll have that conversation coming up. But first, we are going to go through the news here in 90 seconds. A Russian fighter jet struck the propeller. Of a u.s surveillance drone over the black sea earlier this week and officials are calling it a brazen violation of international law the incident has added to russia u.s tensions and it appears to be the first time since the height of the cold war that a u.s aircraft was brought down after an encounter with a russian warplane. a 13 year old girl who was reported missing in dallas was found locked in a shed more than a thousand miles away in North Carolina after she was abducted and raped by a man who she met on social media. She was found in Lexington, about an hour's drive northeast of Charlotte, and cameras captured the vehicle near the teen's home. That's how they located him. With that information, made a traffic stop, eventually were led to the location of the shed. The suspect is 34-year-old Jorge Ivan Santos Camacho, and he was arrested and faces eight felony charges. And a Christian school in Vermont that withdrew its girls' basketball team from a playoff game because of a transgender athlete on the other team has been banned from participating in future tournaments. The decision was announced on Monday of this week by the Vermont Principals Association. Those are just some of today's top headlines. You can check out those stories and more over at CBNNews.com. Guys, a lot going on there. This Christian school, we have the story over on Faithwire right now. You can check out the full details there. But you have this opening action that the school takes and says, we think that this is harmful to our women students. And the Principals Association strikes back. Unbelievable.
1: Well, gone are the days of religious liberty. I feel like this is, you know, we're watching these things percolate and happen. We were told they would never happen, right? Mm -hmm. Um, We just, you know, and, and now they're happening. And I just, for me, I look at it and I think, where does that end? You know, like this is just the beginning, I think, of these sorts of things, but it seems entirely unfair to to handle it in this way when there seem to be other options that could be undertaken.
2: Yeah. And it's interesting, too, because the school had already petitioned the state um, board of education asking for leniency when it comes to this policy, because not just of their their Christian beliefs, but also just because of, of the the central issue that the principal there has made, which is that, or the head of the school has made, which is that it's just not fair to female athletes, which, you know, 10, 15 years ago is something that the left would have been very sympathetic to, but mm-hmm. because of the way the tide has turned uh, and because of the way the sexual revolution has advanced, uh, the left... Uh, I don't think they really know where they stand on this issue because it depends on who you ask, right? There, there's kind of a motley crew of people from different um, political affiliations yeah. who kind of have come together and agree on this issue, but still the powers that be uh, like this principles association and so many politicians um, are, are interested in, in using this as a, a cudgel really to go after conservatives and certainly as, after Christians.
0: Yeah. And, and I don't know if you guys caught this, but, Drew Barrymore, who apparently has a talk show. I didn't I was not aware of this at all were you, were you guys aware of this but she has a talk show and she had this transgender activist Dylan. I don't even know what their name is Dylan Mul, Mulve Mulvaney something. Mulvaney. Yeah, yeah, something of that nature. but you've probably seen them all over on social media. He's dressed up as a woman and he's getting more and more famous. and Drew Barrymore is sitting there. On her knees in this show, essentially apologizing for all the hate that Mulvaney's getting directed their way. People are snapshotting it and saying, "Well, look at the patriarchy. Another win for the patriarchy." And to your point about the the left not really knowing exactly where they stand on this, and you got different people on different spectrums. It sure seems like the popular choice now is to just lean in to just say they're women,
1: and that's that. I mean, this is the danger of disconnecting from the truth, right? You know, yeah, you can walk around all day long and say it doesn't matter. Believe whatever you want. Well, this is the consequence of believing whatever you want. There's no more standard of truth anywhere, and everybody then suddenly is punished when they decide that they want to hold on to traditional truth, which we believe to be ultimate truth, which is scripture. Suddenly, you're a pariah when <laughs> when you hold on yeah. to those things. But every other confused perspective goes apparently. Yeah. And the other.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah go ahead, Trey. Well, I was just gonna say, and once again, the sad irony here, as we've talked about before, is the ones who are left holding the bag are the are women, right? It's, yeah. it's they're the they end up being the victims uh, yet again in this uh, fight to on the left to end the patriarchy, whatever that means. But clearly, it doesn't mean empowering <laughs> women if, if this is the if this is the the position they've taken.
0: Well, and it's the consequences of, as you said, Billy, giving up the truth and just yeah. again. I mean, this doesn't mean you can't have compassion. For people who have gender dysphoria, that those these are two separate issues. What's happening is you have one side saying you must just accept into this faux reality that I have of myself, and everything about society must play along with this reality. I mean, it would be if you want to take it to a ridiculous end, it would be it would be like me saying I am a four hundred foot dragon, and you have to now. Bend society to capitulate to everything that would relate to whatever a four hundred pound dragon needs. It's just unreasonable. And but you're seeing the consequences of that, which is, as you said, Trey, women are being shorted, and they're being told to celebrate this, yay, the first woman to do X, Y, and Z, and it's really just a man who thinks they're a woman because of gender dysphoria. Again, not to belittle that condition but you're seeing the consequences of demanding that society go along with it.
1: Yeah. Well, and and I think that this is going to get stranger. And the other complicating factor you have here is that people feel like they have to, right? That they have to do this because if they don't, they're watching people lose jobs. They're watching people lose opportunities. They're watching teams not be able to compete anymore, you know, um, in a sport. And so your fear leads you then into that place. And I think the sad part is that that actually breeds more confusion and, and actually hurts people who are struggling with these conditions as well.
0: All right. Well, we're definitely going to keep an eye on that as things develop, because it doesn't feel like this is the end of this. I know that they're appealing uh, that decision there. So, and of course this issue, larger issue is not going away anytime soon. We're going to head into our next story now. And after spending more than three decades behind bars, um, A man who was serving a 400-year prison sentence for a robbery committed in 1988 has been released.
1: So three decades plus in prison there. What's the story? Yeah, this is Sidney Holmes. He's 57 years old, and he left prison a free man on Monday evening after prosecutors looked into the circumstances around his conviction. And again, you just mentioned this was a 1988 robbery. So this guy spent more than 30 years behind bars, was sentenced to 400 years, which seems just absolutely insane. Um, And, you know, basically what happened was in 2020, he went to the state attorney's conviction review unit and declared his innocence. He said, look, this 1988 crime, I did not do it. He was apparently persistent over the years and that he was innocent. And, um, you know, they, they did a review. They explored what happened. And what's bizarre is that they actually walked away saying, you know what, he has a plausible claim of innocence because of how he became a suspect and because of all of the precarious eyewitness identification that unfolded initially in the case back in the 1980s when he was found guilty. Uh, They said that he is, quote, highly likely that he is factually innocent of the armed robbery. And then five of the six independent panelists on this review voted that he was innocent and deserved to be immediately exonerated. And so that happened on Monday night. It was a really emotional scene. His mother and other family members running up to him uh, to hug him. Um, And obviously, emotion raging. This is somebody who lost. He has a daughter um, and he has some grandkids, but he lost all of his life. He was 23 years old when this happened, and now he's 57. He's not had a job. He's not had lived a normal family life, nothing. He's been behind bars Um, Obviously, the thing that has shocked people most is that it was a 400-year sentence. Yes, I have questions. (laughs) Well, and so interestingly, so the Broward Sheriff's Office deputies who initially um, arrested him, I guess, or investigated this, they even expressed shock about his sentence when they learned about it and how many years he had served. So even the officers that were involved in the case – um, but at the end of the day, I found this part of the prosecutor's statement interesting. They said prosecutors do not believe there was any intentional misconduct by witnesses or law enforcement as the identification practices and technology have vastly improved since 1988, and deputies follow the accepted standards of the time. The methods methods used would not be acceptable practices today. That
0: honestly, that, that's, that is that explanation is insufficient, in my opinion, to understand how you arrive. At a four, we could probably go down the list. I don't have it in front of me of some of the most violent criminals in American history. And I don't think very many of them got a 400 year prison sentence. And if I'm not mistaken, he was accused of being the getaway driver in an armed robbery. Obviously, if committed, that wouldn't be good, but no one died in this crime, correct?
1: Yeah, so it was a man and a woman. They were they were robbed at gunpoint, and he was accused of driving the vehicle, as you said. Right. So yes, okay. Uh, that let's yeah.
0: So the evidence now they look back on it. It's terrible evidence. It's based on very flimsy, you know, eyewitness accounts. Let's just say he's guilty of this. How how is that a four hundred year sentence? Uh, on what planet does that make any sense? Um, well, it doesn't. It, I, I, 400 years. I, I mean, it's just wild. And it's cases like that, that just make you wonder, um, as we were talking about behind the scenes guys, what other cases are out there where there's just these insane sentences. And I know there's advocacy groups that are looking for these sorts of cases and trying to root them out, but you know, there's only so many adv- advocacy groups And there are so many cases out there that you're just never going to get to them at all. But stuff like this is just, I mean, 400 years, that's nuts. But aside from those crazy details, he also made some comments after the release. You'd expect there to
1: be some emotion, as you said. But what was the most surprising thing that he said? Yeah, I mean, and this was buried for a lot of outlets that covered it, right? And to me, this is the headline for us and what we do is he... You know, After his release, he gave what I would describe as a pretty forgiving response. Um, he was talking about, he said, you know, what what would MAD do for me? Like, why be MAD? What would it do for me? And then he yeah. went on to say, with the Christian faith I have, I can't have hate. Just mm. have to keep moving. And I thought, if, if I lost all those years of my life, I don't know how I would be. I mean, I thought that was actually really a powerful uh, testament to Absolutely. what he claims to believe.
0: Yeah, right? yeah 100%. I mean... That's your whole life. I mean, that's not just time. That's your not your ability to meet someone and get married and have a family. I mean, if you think about that, if he just went with statistical averages, let's say he got married when he was in his mid twenties, you know, or, or even 30 or whatever, and had kids. I mean, he could have grown kids right now, you know, and, and he's missed out on all of that by no choice of his own. And it's just uh, you know, to have that attitude. Certainly is evidence that there's something else working inside him um,
1: through the spirit. One other, one other quick thing. Well, two things. He wants to have a little a restaurant, you know, like a food truck. It sounds like he wants to own his own business. He talked about that. Uh, but something that was disturbing in some of the reports. He talked about the fact that he wants to help other people in jail who he yeah. believes are in the same exact position he's in. Which, if that's true, man.
0: Absolutely. And um, good for him for wanting to do that. And look, RE, the food truck, come on, GoFundMe. This is one of those times where there needs to be a GoFundMe. If, If it hasn't been created, we should start it for him. Please, I mean, America, rally and get this man his food truck for the love of everything that's good.
2: You know, I think this guy's story is just incredible. I mean, we've talked about this like a lot now. The 400 years is just kind of like it's so mind boggling that you can't really wrap your even begin to wrap your head around uh, around why that that was the case. But I think his grace and how he reacted. And that was I'm glad you highlighted that, Billy, in your story, because I think that's so. Profound, And we see that in so many stories like these of people who are wrongfully convicted in prison for so long and then finally released a lot of them who came to faith while they were in prison or who were just were so prayerful the entire time they were in prison because they already believed. Um, I just what a a testimony of faith and trust Hmm. that the right thing would come to pass. And I just hope that in in whatever situations we're in, uh, obviously for most of us, never going to be that extreme. Uh, I would hope that we would have enough faith to trust that, that, you know, a sovereign God is still going to work it out for his glory, by the way, whether he was released or not, right. God is still on the throne and he would still be glorified either way. Yeah. And I I
0: think you make a good point there, Trey, and just the profoundness of it all. It really is thought provoking and, You see stories like this where people in horrible circumstances, like in prison for long periods of time, and yet they have this faith attitude. And it reminds me, you know, of scripture saying the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And you can just see the truth in that statement in cases like this, because how else does that make sense? Unless the Lord is close and working in somebody in that situation and drawing them to himself and just giving them that inner peace, despite a ridiculously I just couldn't imagine what that would do to your mental state to know that you're innocent of something and then be stuck in a cell for 30 plus years. It would, it would seem to be enough to drive you insane, but apparently the Lord sustained through all of that. At the least bitter at the very least. (laughs) No, but, but, but praise God. I mean, that's, that's why we worship our God because he's worthy. And, um, all of that. It's its great stuff. So glad to see he's out. Glad to see uh, that, that justice was done there. So appreciate you bringing that story. And we're going to head on into the main thing now. And trust in our media is at all-time lows. It hasn't always been good anyway, but it's at an all-time low right now. It's been sinking rapidly. And accountability isn't really there either. I mean, we all know, for example, the Hunter Biden laptop story that was dismissed and outlets were purposely not covering it because they felt um, it was too close to the election and they didn't want to interfere with the election in that particular way so there's so many things like that and then we just move on well we spoke with a former media executive and colleague Steve Krakauer who has a new book out in which he talks to a number of media insiders and power players and he chronicles the main major issues plaguing the media industry today it's fascinating stuff and that's today's main thing all right we are joined now by steve krakauer who has a new book uncovered how the media got cozy with power abandoned its principles and lost the people steve thanks for being here hey guys great to
1: be on with you yeah, you know, for decades, people have been complaining about bias, particularly on the right, as you said. It is interesting because once, you know, Trump was in office, it felt like, and I'm not saying it was just Trump, but it felt like there was a real shift where a lot of the complaints or the things that have been talked about, you were starting to see them, and it was very visceral. I mean, it was very obvious. It wasn't something you could even argue about. Why why do you think that happened during the, you know, maybe the Trump administration?
3: Yeah, there's again. I mean, I think there's so many factors to it. But I, I was having this conversation last week with someone where I, I said, if you know, Twitter is a very new phenomenon, right? Twitter it basically was invented in 2009, uh, was popularized around 2011, 2012. So we're not talking about a huge amount of time that this this platform has been around. So let's just imagine a world where Twitter didn't exist. It just that one didn't get invented. What would have the Trump administration coverage have looked like in during that time? And I, I would argue it actually would have been been significantly different because so much of what happened during those those five years or so when it was running for office and then became president was the performative nature that came from twitter Also, the incentive structure that comes from Twitter, you know, the way and I I talk to people, uh, more than two dozen people on the record in my book, including people that are kind of in the mainstream media, people like Tara Palmieri at Puck News, Olivia Newsy at New York Magazine. And a lot of them point to this idea where people went after the Trump administration in very showy, dramatic, performative ways because of the accolades they would get on social media, particularly on Twitter, the incentive of getting new followers and new likes. Likewise, they would not cover certain stories or cover them certain ways because of the fear of backlash that they might get on Twitter, especially during the Trump years. And so you have this in, into the, the current mix of what already existed, you have Trump, who I do think that there's there's some business element to what happened there. You know, He was great for business. And so, okay, let's lead into that. There was something personal about it as I track in the book. I mean, Jeff Zucker was essentially made, the, the president of CNN at the time was made by Donald Trump when he, they were at NBC together when doing Celebrity Apprentice. They were, you could kind of say friends. I mean, he was at his wedding, along with Katie Couric and Gail King from CBS and Chris <laughs> Matthews. I mean, you go right on down the line. I mean, the, he was part of that world that he became this turncoat to them. And then I think you put into that a very real sense, as ridiculous as the three of us may think it is, that people in those newsrooms believe they were in this existential fight to save democracy during the Trump years, that it was Watergate every day for them. And so <laughs> when you enter that... <laughs> I would argue that if you believe that as I certainly do not, you would double down on your principles. Okay, that would be the time we need to really stick to our principles. But instead they went the other direction. Guardrails were off. Suddenly, oh, you don't need two sources, no, we just need one. Eh, we kind of let's just let's just run with it. Oh, this this outlet has something. Let's just do that for 24 hours. So the, they believed that they were in this fight and in response to that, they decided to say it's just too big of an issue let's just let's just go with with the principles we used to have those are gone out the window
0: yeah 100 percent. and you've right at the beginning of the book you know you go through the the laptop story and you yeah. break that thing down and show it and that is a prime example of what you're talking about and the media has always had I think you know we've seen it from the Rush Limbaugh days of exposing it in the 90s of just kind of a liberal bias and so we've known about that and that's that's kind of a well-known thing but it seems like it transitioned as you were saying from biased to activism at some point Now, i always pinpointed this and i'm interested to get your take because i think you have a different date for me uh, th- from what i have i, I kind of look at the george floyd scenario along with trump as you were saying as sort of these catalysts to bring us into just they just think this is too important And we're willing to shut down a story and ignore a story because it's for the greater good. And they kinda went into that mode where they didn't do that before. But you even went back further and point to twenty fourteen and Michael Brown. Why is that?
3: Yeah, I I really did try to figure out what that was. And I think that it was a combination. I think Trayvon Martin on some level started it, but it was a little bit more where – look, I was at CNN during Trayvon Martin. So I I understand that there was a sense by many people in that newsroom to get that story right. But by 2014 – and again, I was outside at that point of CNN – that really was the catalyst, I believe, to, to start this. And as you point out, this was before Trump. This was before the elevator ride, and, he's, and he kicked off his campaign. So something else shifted there. And, and that story became so much about hands up, don't shoot, right? That was the, the what Michael Brown supposedly said. And in fact, I would imagine many people on all sides of the aisle still believe that Michael Brown said that. And yet, as we now know, he didn't say that. We know that because of the Obama Justice Department's investigation that they did only a year later. So we're talking about 2015 completely disproved that. No witnesses said he said that. Instead, actually, he charged at uh, Officer uh, Darren Wilson. He, He reached for the gun. It was not a racially motivated shooting, as we now know. That was looked into as well. And so all of these factors, and yet the response from the media was not to say, we got this so excruciatingly wrong. In some cases, it was, as I pointed out. But in other cases, it was... Hands Up, Don't Shoot wasn't really about what it was actually said. It was about the rallying cry that it started, the social justice movement that began from that. It became more of a symbol. That's the direction, not just of the activists, but of the media themselves. And when you have narrative over fact, as that story ended up becoming, that's what seeded the ground for what was to come during the Trump years.
0: Yeah, we've got all these things going on and clearly it's not going in the right direction. Do do you think that it can be fixed? And if so, what are the sorts of things that need to need to happen?
3: So the short answer is that I'm I'm a I'm an optimist generally. I'm a glass half full person. Um, I I think that that there's a path for the media getting better. Um, and I uh, at the same time am not holding my breath for it to happen. Look, these are giant corporations in many instances. It's like a tanker trying to move that around. It's going to take a very long time, even if their head was in the right place, which I would imagine you know for the most part they're not. Look, Donald Trump is running again. He's ahead, certainly, in a lot of the primary polls right mm-hmm. now. This is going to be very difficult for a media, even if they wanted to try to, to, to you know, get rid of those bad habits that they had in, in you know, the 2015 to 2020. It's going to be very hard for them to do that. But I think one of the reasons that I'm optimistic is because many people are, are opening their eyes to this. And, and again, it's not political. I think people I talk to here in Texas on the left, uh, people that are Democrats, people that are even consumers of these mainstream outlets are understanding that these pe- police places are not telling it to them straight, that they can't just go to one source and understand that that's the news anymore. Um, they need to kind of broaden that out. They're finding independent media in a lot of instances, and that's serving them in ways that they... they are starting to see, okay, this is feeling closer to me. This is feeling more true. This is feeling like they're they're talking to me and treating me like uh, I deserve more information. And so because of that, I do think that the bottom line is really being affected these days at places like a CNN or ESPN I mentioned in the book, New York Times, when the bottom line starts hitting, and it's not just the bottom line of of you know being able to try to find new viewers somewhere else, but but literally the trust factor that that the, the lack of trust is hurting the bottom line. I do think that that it's gonna it's going to change some executives to start making decisions that are at least in the best interest of their audience, which they should be doing at first. That's a step in the right direction. It's gonna take a while though, but I do think that, that those areas could get them back in the right way.
0: All right. Great conversation there with Steve Krakauer. You can check out the full conversation over on the CBN News YouTube channel. And that leaves us with time for one last thing. And we're going to look at Psalm 34 and 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. And we referenced that verse here just a few minutes ago on the podcast. And you can see it, guys, in so many examples The truth of
1: this statement. Just, you know, knowing that when we're struggling to that reminder that we can turn to him to find that peace is so incredible. It really is.
2: Yeah. I I think it's so encouraging to know that there, there is a God who is sovereign, but sometimes that's difficult to believe, right? When you're going through a really, a really tough situation, I think it's difficult to trust that God has a plan and a purpose. And then on the flip side, when you're you're doing really well things are going great there's the temptation in our own flesh to think look how good i'm doing like i've done such a great job but in reality god's in control in both situations Mm,
0: absolutely all right good place to leave it here on this friday junior hope you have a fantastic rest of your day as always don't forget to get on over to cbnnews.com faithwire.com for more news from a christian perspective and lord willing And that creek don't rise up on us. We'll see you back here tomorrow with more. God bless. We'll see you then. Have a great rest of the day.